on the very idea, a philosophy podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm taking a break, taking a break, taking it easy today. I've got the day off and the kids are at school. So I'm about to do some uh, recording. Also, my wife's father, he's away on vacation, so he doesn't have to be perplexed when he hears the sound of me talking to myself coming from upstairs. He doesn't really get uh, podcasts, that matter. Maybe I don't really get podcasts. Yeah, anyway, it's a multi-generational household here. Her father, me, and her, and the kids. It's supposed to represent some sort of huge burden on my uh, freedom, but uh, I actually quite like it. So, house stuff into separate uh, apartments the house anyway. But, uh, you know, I can still occasionally go down and steal some beer from his fridge when I get low. Shouldn't say that shouldn't crack humor. I quite value him in his own right, but uh, I don't know how to express my uh, feelings except through some sort of uh, deflecting humor. Anyway, let's get on to the game. It's the same familiar one as usual. I will say a quote from a philosopher. I'll say it twice, then I'll give you five seconds to answer. Now, uh, a few trivias ago, I gave you a quote about the a priori. I'm going to give you another quote about the a priori again. A priori truths, oh sorry, here we go. A priori truths can be known independently of experience, but they don't have to be. Whoever uh, said this quote, uh, I think he's expanding or she is expanding on the work of W.V.O. Quine. So it's not, uh, you know, not Quine himself, but um, um, someone who came after him. Quine had said statements like, a rooster is a male chicken, for example. A rooster is a male chicken. It, uh, a statement like that could be both equally um, understood empirically or um, logically, depending on um, which way you investigated it. But, you know, as I said, it doesn't come from Quine himself. It came from a person who was influenced by Quine, but who also went against Quine quite a bit. And um, perhaps most tellingly about the person in question, um, despite being a professor at uh, prestigious universities, this person never had to go to grad school. Such was his uh, doogie hauserishness at uh, a young age. In um, 1962, he um, graduated from Harvard with the only non-honorary degree he ever received, a Bachelor of Science in uh, Mathematics. Okay, one more time on that quote. A priori truths can be known independently of experience, but they don't have to be. Okay, let me count down here. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, okay. The answer is Mr. Saul Kripke. The guy had previously um, given a quote from Kripke. I don't know him so much. Don't know his work so much. Don't know him at all. But uh, I've been meaning to get into him, you know. Uh, here he's sounding a lot like, uh, well, he's sounding a lot like Quine, as I said. Um, though the two differed in many respects. Quine, if you remember, tried to, to dismantle the notion of the pure logically based idea of the a priori. He thought we should all be radical empiricists. But some of us still think that a notion of the a priori is uh, very useful, even if it cannot exactly cleave off a priori sections from empirical sections as neatly as one uh, may have hoped. Actually, I learned an interesting thing about uh, W.V.O. Quine the other day. His nephew, his nephew was Robert Quine. Robert, this guy Robert Quine, who was a pivotal figure in the 1970s punk rock movement. 
he collaborated with people like Matthew Sweet. I don't know if you know Matthew Sweet, but Matthew Sweet. And he provided that amazing guitar part on Matthew Sweet's song, Girlfriend. Song Girlfriend has this really great lead guitar part. He was uh, in Punk Pioneers, uh, a punk pioneer, Richard Hell. Richard Hell's band. Richard Hell and the Voidoids, I think. You know, it's really funny, this band, uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. The band, it's very, everybody in the band are like all these very punk looking figures with, uh, you know, their rooster boy haircuts and their safety pins, you know, their mohawks. And um, on the side, there's this bald man in a beard who looks a lot like uh, WVO Quine and is dressed like an accountant. And he's there, he's up there on stage playing these amazing guitar lines with these very stereotypical punk young guys. Both guys are all about 10 years younger than him. It's quite funny to see him up there on stage with everyone else. It's like seeing, well, it's like seeing WVO himself rock out without uh, a wardrobe change. WVO's nephew, he may be responsible for that alternative guitar sound that has dominated music, alternative music since the 1990s. He didn't just mimic the rockabilly lines and the Chuck Berry lines that the other early punks did. And I probably, you know, now that I'm talking so much about Quine, I probably should have just gotten a quote from WVO Quine since I spoke about him so much. Yeah, regrets. Um... Now let me bask in them anyway. Anyway, got to get through this. On to the main of the episode. Last time, I talked about how we perceive the world. I looked at a talk given by P.F. Strassen at the Royal Institute of Philosophy titled Perception and Its Objects. Uh, It's from 1979, and in that paper, he looks at the work of A.J. Ayer and J.L. Mackey. You know, and he he asks the questions, how can we best describe how the average non-philosophical person perceives the world and consider the reality behind it, the reality behind our unreflective perception? So, previously, we concentrated on what Strassen thought were the problems of A.J. Ayer's description description of perception. Basically, he liked Ayer's theory, A.J. Ayer's theory, but with one major disagreement. Ayer um, relied on the idea that we have a precognitive, we have these precognitive theories that structure our view of reality. Strassen um, thought that this uh, he thought this to be incorrect. He was incorrect to describe this structure as um, theoretical, as uh, theory requires this uh, separation between theory and um, the objects of theory. As our empirical thoughts are simply, you know, d- delivered to us. They're not delivered to us and then we, we frame them in certain ways. We can't parse them apart to separate this theory part and the object part, the pure part. Uh, in Strassen's own words, my point is that the ordinary human commitment to a conceptual scheme of a realist character is not properly described, even in a stretched sense of the words, as a theoretical commitment. It is rather something given with the um given so Strassen differentiates his realism from Ayer's realism by saying it all occurs with simultaneously. Now, next, Strassen sets uh, J.L. Mackey and his scientific realism in his uh, sights, but 
before moving on to him, he wants to uh, take a look at what we might call naive realism. Uh, this is just the view that what we see there actually is. It really is naive. Pack up those briefcases, philosophers. There's no more work to be done here, in uh, other words. Naive uh, realism is the um, idea that the senses provide us with um, direct awareness of objects as they really are. In um, other words, it ignores uh, physics, among um, other things, and the idea that the world um, actually hangs together on an atomic level. We no need to muddle up uh, our epistemology with the idea of primary and secondary qualities, I guess. But if we are describing the um, average, how the average adult views objects in reality, then maybe, just maybe, it um, is descriptively accurate to call us naive realists in our general lives. We don't worry about the atomic structure. Most people don't go around actively thinking about the distinction between primary and secondary qualities after all. We assume the colors in the object, not in the, you know, light waves. Nor do they stare at their hands wondering if they are just yeah, illusions outside of um, a pleasant Sunday uh, mushroom trip. But naive realism is in fact a confused realism in Strassen's judgment, since uh, it fails to draw a distinction that it itself must presuppose, distinction between what he sees and what there actually is, as to explain illusions, mis-sightings, and other times when our eyes fail us. There must be um, distinction between reality and appearance, because otherwise we couldn't make sense or acknowledge errors in judgment, in perceptual judgment. On this line of reasoning, P.F. Strauss, he moves away from naive realism and on to the work of J.L. Mackey, particularly J.L. Mackey's scientific realism. Mackey claims that objects have only the physical properties allowed to them in scientific theory, say, um, psychology of uh, vision, and that we cannot perceive them as they really are, that our representations, and this is a key word, representations of them are, um, they do not deliver their reality. The tactile and visual qualities that make an apple appear as that rich sense experience are not um, actually properties of the um, apple. Mackey follows 17th century philosopher John Locke in saying that we should modify our own common sense realism in light of our knowledge of physics and physiology. So we're going to make changes to how we think about how we perceive, knowing this stuff about science. Science should make us reconsider how we view objects in our daily life according to the um, scientific realist and acknowledge the gap between scientific reality and um, perception in, well, perception. You know, there's a gap between reality and perception in perception, according to Mackey. For example, we should uh, understand that there is a logical divorce between being read and um, being read looking. And with it, the recognition of color as um, secondary quality, you know, the way John Locke told us. Mackey describes objects as visio-tactual continuance, what a word, and um, allows for the distinction between those items and the experiences of um, perceiving them. Now, Mackey seems to balance his scientific realism with his own variation of common sense realism. You know, he does have an idea that we don't perceive the world scientifically. Um, 
and uh, his descriptive account of common sense realism of how the mature adult uh, perceives things. Here, Mackey holds that um, when we perceive, we perceive actual objects in space outside of us um, as having visual and tactile qualities as well as um, primary qualities, which is something like what Strassen says, right? Kind of, yeah. Well, yes, but Strassen says that there is a clear difference between Mackey and himself, because Mackey has a representative, a representative view of um, realism. Mackey believes that um, our perceptions are representatives of the objects in the world. Strassen denies that there is any such barrier. Remember with his um, criticism of A.J. Ayer, Strassen said, we don't plop a theory on top of a perception when we perceive. It all happens at the same time. There is um, no theory per se, but all experience already arrives uh, cognitively structured in a certain framework. And that makes uh, a perception of an apple or any other physical thing, not a resemblance of an apple in the mind's eye, but a perception of uh, the um, physical object itself. Very direct. The common sense realist account of Strassen recognizes that we don't perceive resemblances. We perceive objects, not resemblances of objects. It is perceptually direct. For Strassen, there is a logical connection between an object being red and being red looking. For the mature adult, being red and being red looking are, you know, it's just one and the same. The scientific realist must, however, have a framework where there is the true scientific physical object in the world and the resemblance of that when we add secondary qualities to it in perception. Strassen's common sense realist says, eh, that's too many distinctions. An accurate view of how we perceive must acknowledge that all perception comes already framed by cognitive categories and attempt to divide resemblance from a physical object is artificial. A step after the fact of perception and then and one that may be able to be distinguished in science um, upon theoretical reflection, but um, cannot be distinguished in perception itself. Uh, but so Mackey has to hold this idea that we put theories upon our perceptions, kind of like AJR. For Mackey, because he first supports a scientificism that states objects should be seen according to scientific description as having no secondary qualities and thus a world we can never truly um, perceive, he must uh, suppose that there is a logical separation be between being a certain way under scientific description and being a certain way according to our eyes. Strassen takes his um, common sense realism to be a real realism, something of which scientific realism is um, a distortion. So, again, but in a bit more detail, how does Strassen define his realism? Strassen's realism credits things with visual and tactile properties that are directly perceived by um, us and um, are not a matter of um, inference or construction on our part. Remember, he goes away with a theory. So, we take the hardness and the redness of um, an object as features of that object, not as a feature of our cognitive system that interprets the physical collection of atoms in um, a way that uh, we humans have come to call them hard or red. We perceive objects directly, not as representations. Direct perception, not an object um, in the mind is a representation, keyword representation of a real world object. So there's no representation. There's not no thing in the mind called representation. A little bit like kind of, I guess, kind of the point of what like Richard Rorty was getting at. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar. Anyway, focus. 
I get where P.F. Strassen is coming from in his criticism of Mackey's common sense realism. Uh, his common sense realism re- relies on this representative theory of perception, where there's a distinction between pure perceptual experience and theory. But it seems that uh, Mackey's the basic elements of scientific realism are still safe. Um, you know, and it seems that Mackey requires a representative theory of object and perception because acknowledging the truth of scientific description demands this separation. If we take the scientific count of the way objects are composed seriously, how we should scientifically think of the world, then we must um, admit that objects are such that they do not possess secondary qualities. You know, it's, it's kind of common sense. So is this going to be a problem for Strassen? Well, Strassen seems to, you know, my thing with Strassen seems he lacks a normative account of how objects actually are independent of human observation. He lacks an account of how to tell us when we are wrong, when we are um, under illusion, when our um, peepers are playing tricks on us. But maybe he's not trying to set up a normative account anyway. Maybe only just a descriptive one. Because uh, his common sense realism seems to hold up as a description of how the average person perceives when they perceive. But as far as I can tell, he only um, offers a descriptive theory. It's when he is forced to say something about the scientific um, view of objective reality, Strassen will find himself in a similar pickle as uh, J.L. Mackey. But then again, Strassen perhaps didn't care. Maybe he didn't care about giving a normative account that is uh, compatible with science. He was an ordinary language philosopher. Well, he's not an ordinary language philosopher, but he cut his teeth at the same time as like people like J.L. Austin who are ordinary language philosophers. And these people from that era, they were often descriptive to a fault. Nevertheless, eventually any philosopher will want his findings to cohere with the most recent science. And if they don't, it's a question worthwhile raising as to why. Strassen uh, tries to address this by saying that the scientific viewpoint um, can be conceived of as just um, another viewpoint that uh, we can occupy. When we look under a microscope, we see that smooth can become bumpy, or using other instruments, we can perceive wavelengths as opposed to um, color. Likewise, he says that we can shift radically to the viewpoint of scientific realism, which is a viewpoint that says that no characteristics are to be ascribed to things except those which figure in the physical theories of science and in the explanation of what goes on in the physical world and the processes which lead to our having the sensations and perceptions that we have. He says that there is no more of a shift in uh, viewpoint as understanding that something can look a different color in a different light. So there's no more of a shift in viewpoint. It's just the same thing as, you know, just the idea that there's different colors and different lightings for the same object. When we understand this, according to Strassen, we can shift from viewpoint to viewpoint. It's green here, but mm, it looks more blue here. Likewise, scientifically, it's colored here, but under a scientific uh, description, it's uncolored here. Hmm. For Strassen, it's about shifting viewpoints. Strassen writes about this quite nicely. He says in Perception and Its Objects, Such and such, a surface looks pink and smooth from a distance, mottled and grainy when closely examined, different again perhaps under the microscope. We absorb this relativity easy enough for or for ordinary purposes in our um, ordinary talk, tacitly taking some range of perceptual conditions, some perceptual point of view in the broad sense, 
sense as a standard or normal and introducing an explicit acknowledgement of relativity only in cases which deviate from the standard. Eh, it looks purple in this light, we say. But take it uh, to the door and you will see that uh, it's, uh, oh, that's really green. But sometimes we do something else. We shift the standard. Magnified the, magnified, the fabric appears as printed with tiny blue and yellow dots. So those uh, are the colors it really is. Does this subscription contradict it's really green? No. For, according to Strassen's, Strassen's words, the standard has shifted, looking at photographs and journals of popular science of patches of human skin. Vastly magnified, we say, ooh, how fantastically uneven and rigid the human skin is. It really is. Study samples of blood through a microscope, and we say, ooh, that's uh, mostly colorless. But skins can still be smooth, and blood can um, be red. For in another context, we shift our standard back. Such shifts do not convict us of uh, volatility or condemn us to internal conflict. The appearance of both volatility and conflict vanishes when we acknowledge the relativity of our reallys. That's nice. When we acknowledge the relativity of our reallys. Basically, Strassen is saying um, about science that we can uh, see that uh, this method of reconciling, reconciling scientific and common sense realism requires us to recognize uh, a certain relativity in our conception of the real properties of physical objects. In his words, relative to the human perceptual standpoint, the physical objects are visual, tactile, continuous, relative to the scientific standpoint. They have no properties but those which figure in the physical theories of science. But, it's the end quote, but this may push an uncomfortable relativism upon us. Certainly there is uh, pressure to say that um, the scientific viewpoint is more than just uh, another viewpoint. I don't think that's too controversial. What the scientific viewpoint really is held to be saying is that this is the object as it actually is. And that's a bit stronger than a relativized, relativized viewpoint. In a way, Strassen seems to be a naive realist of sorts. You know, he would disagree with that, at least according to the Wikipedia definition of him. Uh, I hate to use Wikipedia, but my uh, laziness wins out. The collective by committee of Wikipedia says that according to the naive realist, the objects of perception are not merely representations of external objects, but are in fact those external objects themselves. Which sounds a lot like a causal theory, like common sense realism which denies representationalism could fall into its naive realism. Another way Strassen could get out of it is to say that the scientific viewpoint has epistemic priority as offering the most uh, accurate, quantifiable account of how um, things are that will have the most predictive success and therefore granted superior epistemic status. And, you know, he could be pulling a Heidegger of sorts by saying, nevertheless, scientific descriptions are theoretical abstractions based on our actual experience. We get to science by seeing beyond empirical stuff, not as it really is, and theorizing with specialized tools. 
sounds a little bit like Bruno Latour. Uh, it gets to reality by getting theoretical space from our perceptions, not by digging in closer to them. Strassen seems to be in agreement with this Heideggerian position here. You know, he never said that, but he seems to be. When he says, without the illusion of perceiving objects as bearers of sensibilities, we should not have the illusion of perceiving them as space occupiers at all. And without that, we should have no concept of space and no power to pursue our researches into the nature of of its occupants. Science is not only the offspring of um, common sense, it remains its dependent. And where I am. Okay. So Strassen's a really nice writer. Okay. I'll end there. I don't know about Strassen's conclusions. Maybe I expect too much in granting the scientific um, viewpoint too much um, objectivity. Maybe it's best to describe things as most people actually, you know, perceive them and then having science or the scientific viewpoint find a way to mess with that. Yeah, to find a way to mess with the way we usually perceive things rather than going about it the other way. Getting the scientific viewpoint first and then creating a descriptive count of how we proceed and altering that to make it fit with the scientific viewpoint. Anyway, complicated stuff. Uh, a lot of this stuff is new material for me, as maybe you can tell. Anyway, thank you for listening. On the very idea, a philosophy podcast. 